All right, have you ever been to the mountains? Have you ever tried to run when you're in the mountains? Hey, even just walking gets you out of breath, doesn't it? So we used to go skiing every year. Uh, I used to be a youth minister for many years. And I took, I've taken youth groups to every major ski area in Colorado. And there's that period of acclimation, right? When you first get there, I mean, you can get, you know, a headache because you're not used to the altitude. I'm going to be honest with you. We started the Gospel of John uh, on January the 8th. And uh, I, this is my favorite book in the Bible, um, John and Romans are my two top favorite books, but uh, John is just the best. And but it's also studying this for you guys. It's it's like running in the mountains. Uh, you know, to change metaphors, I just don't feel worthy most of the time uh, when I'm trying to uh, uh, read this and properly digest it and distill it, to use another metaphor, um, so that I can deliver it to you in a way that, gosh, I, I just want you to get this, right? I've always wanted our church, and I always say that our church is um, Christ-centered, right? It's about Jesus. And looking at where the Lord has directed me as far as our messages, going all the way back to Advent, um, everything has focused on Jesus, Right? Um, it's easy to say that, but that really has been what's happening. And now we're in the book that has a clearer witness to the deity of Christ, the Godhood of Jesus, uh, than any other book. Now, that's not to say that Jesus is not presented as the divine Son of God in the other Gospels. He is, but John just really wants you to get it, and he wants me to get it. Um, so what I've been trying to do is on Sunday morning, uh, I'm trying to be oriented toward a particular theme, and Wednesday night, I really am hitting details in these verses. So if you can join us Wednesday, I would love to have you here. Or you can join us online. Some of you are watching us online right now. Um, you can get our podcast. And what I'm saying here is that there's continuity, but I'm trying to make this something that is more valuable for you on a Sunday morning when we kind of have, you know, really less time uh, for, to focus on the teaching side of things. And on Wednesday, um, you know, I teach rock solid for 45 or 50 minutes and it's just verse by verse and it's a whole lot more detail. So uh, I'd love to have you here for that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and reread these verses um, because I, I've been really hitting just a couple of verses a week, even on Sunday morning, but we're in what is known as the prologue. This is the introduction to John. And we're moving through the prologue more slowly than we will move through um, at least some of the rest of John because there's no narrative here. It's just so compacted, so concise, so powerful. And so I, I want to I want to get everything that we're supposed to get out of that prologue before we launch into the rest of the gospel. Um, so I'm going to read the prologue once again, and that is uh, John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And here it is, and you'll see it up here on the screen. If you're watching online, you should see it as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light 
of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. Now, this isn't John that wrote the gospel. This is John the baptizer. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and they did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. For of his fullness, that is of the fullness of the the word, Christ. For of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, in the bosom of the Father, the uh, the, uh, older NASB says, he has explained him. There are three responses. Um, Well, there are more responses than this, but I'm going to categorize three major responses to Jesus Christ. The one who John introduces as the word, who John tells us is the only begotten son of God. People receive him, they accept him. People reject him or resist him. And people seek to reinterpret him or reinvent him. You fit into one of those categories, right? Listen to what it says again in John 1, 11 through 13. This is about those who rejected him, those who uh, didn't pay any attention to him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To receive Jesus then, it clearly says here um, in the text, the inspired writer um, by the Holy Spirit says that we receive Jesus and we need to believe in his name. That means that you've got to believe in Jesus as who he claimed to be and proved himself to be. You see, as I said, what some people like to do, especially in our day, is just reinvent Jesus. Or they sort of, you know, read certain verses about Jesus that they like and they reinterpret Jesus. They kind of push away the verses and the things that Jesus said that they don't like. You got to take him as he is, not as you would like for him to be or as your tribe wants to push you to believe that he is. You can't just uh, reimagine Jesus in essence. You take him as he is. So first, he is more than a prophet, a teacher, a moralist, or a miracle worker, any number of things that people have ascribed to Jesus. It's not to say that he wasn't a prophet, right? He was prophet, priest, and king, but he's more than all of those things. 
He's not a politician. I heard a, a, a fellow that was on stage at another church who was trying to make the case that Jesus was political. Jesus was not political, right? If Jesus was political, then he wouldn't have ridden in on the back of a donkey on, you know, uh, Palm Sunday. He would have ridden in on a stallion, a charger. He would have not chosen a bunch of fishermen to be his followers. He would have chosen those that could be revolutionaries, that would be fighters, and that's not who he chose. He's not a philosopher. Now, perhaps you can call some philosophical ideas from what Jesus taught, but he's certainly not a philosopher, and he's not the figurehead of a religion, new or old. You see, people like Jesus. He's got a good name, so they like to slap Jesus on their particular religious belief system, and sometimes those religious belief systems are, you know, um, worldwide and well-known. Some of them are old. Some of them are new. As I indicated to you last week, and I believe I said this on uh, Wednesday as well, there was a movement that was a sort of a philosophical religious movement that started about the time uh, that uh, John was writing this gospel, and it is called Gnosticism, right? And the Gnostics didn't believe really anything that the Bible teaches. They reinterpreted it and they reinvented it, and they shaped it and molded it to make it fit their philosophical idea. Um, They were dualists. They believed that matter was evil. They believed that the body was worthless and useless, that what we really need to do is we need to escape the body. They believed that Jesus couldn't have become a literal flesh and blood man. In fact, a group of Gnostics are sometimes referred to as the docetics, and that comes from the Greek word dokeo, Uh, the verb that means to seem or to appear. And what they said is he only appeared to be, he only seemed to be a man. He wasn't really a man. In fact, their famous uh, statement or phrase was, Jesus walked along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, but he left no footprints. Friends, I assure you, he left footprints, right? He's not the subject of your private spirituality. That word is really popular today. And forgive me, I'm not trying to disparage you if you like that particular term. But I think that many times spirituality just means my religio-emotional experience. Now, Jesus wants to be personal to you, right? He wants to be your personal Lord and Savior, but that doesn't mean that he is your private Savior, because well, then what happens is we subjectively reinterpret Jesus, as I said. So these are all things that people do today. Um, he is the Word of God. He's the one and only Son. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He is Lord, and he is one with the only God. However, he also became 100% human, and the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. The, in the Greek, it uh, is a word that means he tented with us, right? I don't know if you've ever used that term before, but it refers to a temporary dwelling, which is what we have down here on earth. And he was, uh, what uh, John was saying is, the word became flesh and he tabernacled or tented with us for this brief period of time. He was really here. He really became flesh. And this is what flew in the face of these Gnostics, or or really, this is inchoate Gnosticism, proto-Gnosticism. It wasn't full-blown Gnosticism until about 100 years later. But nonetheless, John already saw this coming on. And 
providentially and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's written these things so that we will interpret Jesus properly. Jesus became 100% human. He emptied himself and he took human nature on into himself, right? Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Um, well, I'll start with five. He says, have this mind or this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. I like to say, Jesus got into the elevator and took it all the way down to the sub-basement. He didn't just become human. He became a human who was very poor, who grew up in a backwater town. Nazareth had a terrible reputation. You know, we know Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, but it had a terrible reputation, okay? Um, in fact, we'll, we'll see in our gospel uh, right here in chapter one when we get to it that Jesus meets this fellow named Nathaniel and uh, you know, they, they say, hey, we found the one that, you know, that is called Messiah. Well, we believe we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So it didn't have a great reputation and that's where Jesus grew up, okay? Um, obviously, he had a family that uh, God was uh, entrusted him to but they weren't powerful, they weren't noble. Um, they were just ordinary people. Joseph, his stepfather, I like to call him, um, was a, he was a, a hand worker. He was a construction worker. We often say, well, he was a carpenter, but honestly, there wasn't a lot of wood to work with, right? The word that is used that says Joseph was a carpenter, Jesus was a carpenter, often translated that way, just means he was a hand worker. He was a laborer, okay, a skilled laborer. So when I look out here and I see these guys that are putting together the square, I know right now it looks like, you know, a war zone, but they're really doing an incredible job. Uh, I watched these guys finishing concrete out here. And I remember Pastor Craig, right after you got out of uh, Baylor, uh, you worked with a contracting group, right? For one summer. And I remember you telling me how difficult it was to float in that concrete and make it, you know, we just take this for granted that these people are, you know, but they get out there and it's hot and it's cold and it's all of these things. And they build all of this wonderful, you know, these buildings that we're in. That's what Jesus' father, his stepfather, his real father was almighty God, but that's who he was. And that's what Jesus did for a living until it was time for him at the age of roughly 30 to go out in his ministry. He was 100% human, but he went lower than that, right? He got himself sideways with the religious leaders. He got himself in trouble with the Romans because the religious leaders accused him uh, of potential sedition, um, of you know, trying to raise him up, himself up as a king uh, to oppose Caesar. He never said that. He didn't try to do that. Again, he was not political. That's not why he was crucified. He was crucified in human terms because the religious leaders were jealous of him. He had throngs of people that were following him, and he didn't obey all of their little rules. Okay, uh, the scripture says Ten Commandments very clearly: observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. But these folks had created so many rules related to the Sabbath that you just, you couldn't move. And so Jesus clearly violated their rules without violating the Sabbath, right? Uh, in fact, one of the things that we're gonna encounter in this gospel in uh, chapter five 
is uh, the, the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus told him to pick up his mat and go. And he couldn't walk, but suddenly he could walk. So he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. He's like, I don't care if it's Sunday. Well, for them, it was Saturday. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna pick up my mat and I'm gonna walk. So rather than be uh, excited for the fact that this man who was broken, who couldn't walk, was healed, the religious leaders were angry. Why? Oh, because he disobeyed their little rules. And they were so angry with Jesus that they wanted to kill him. It says it several times. So Jesus went all the way down. Now, they could have, uh, it wasn't legal for them to do this, but they did do it on occasion. They stoned people, right? Um, they literally took rocks and threw it at the person. They, they would shove them up against a wall or down in a, a ravine or a pit, and then they would just throw rocks at them until they were dead. A horrible way, you know, to, to die. But the community, basically, is executing this person. And under Roman rule, they were not allowed to do that. But as we, we will find out, Pastor Craig is going to be teaching from Acts in the next couple of weeks. Um, Acts chapter 7, Stephen makes them so angry that they just drag him out and stone him right there. On a several occasions, they picked up stones to stone Jesus, even though it was illegal, right? But see, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was that the Son of Man would be raised up. He would be lifted up before all. And we'll see that in chapter 3. Okay, uh, Jesus said, as the serpent, as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be raised up. Uh, the, the serpent was this bronze statue that Moses was told to make because the people were getting bit by snakes. And primarily that was happening because they were cursing God, they were complaining against God. And so God just basically let these snakes loose in their midst. These snakes are biting him. And then he gives them an opportunity uh, to heal those wounds. And the way that he did that is he said, Moses, I want you to make this, uh, this bronze serpent. And by the way, the image that we have today for medicine, right? The staff with the serpents going around it, it's, it's patterned after this, right? And so they raised up that serpent. And if anybody looked to that serpent, uh, the image of what was biting them, then they would be healed. Jesus said, the son of man must be raised up like that. And if you look to him in faith, then you will be healed of what's eating you, right? You'll be healed of your sin. But he went all the way down and suffered at the hands of the Romans, Roman execution, one of the most horrific ways to die. Pastor Craig's been uh, going through uh, Luke chapter uh, 23, and uh, it describes the uh, execution of Jesus by crucifixion. Um, so painful, in fact, that we get our English word excruciating. Have you ever endured excruciating pain? It comes from two Greek words, from ek, the cross, okay? Or Latin, ex crucio, right? Um, that type of death, that form of death uh, was torture. It was the Roman way of making sure that people did exactly what Rome told them to do because they executed these people publicly. They stripped them naked. Um, they beat them before they put them on the cross. And then they left them on the cross until they suffocated. That's how a person on a cross died. Uh, early on in my ministry, when I was trying to understand crucifixion, I was given to believe that when the person was hanging on the cross, um, 
their, basically their body would collapse down and they couldn't breathe. And I thought, okay, well, that means they couldn't breathe in. No, you want to hear something weird? They couldn't breathe out. That's strange, right? So what happens when the oxygen in your lungs remains in your lungs? How does that feel? Have you ever, have you ever, when I was a kid, I used to, uh, I used to like to see how far I could swim underwater, okay? I'd like, I, you know, hyperventilate so I could, you know, oxygenate my blood and then hold my breath and then push off and swim to one end of the pool and then flip over and swim to the other end of the pool. And I could usually make it, you know, two lengths. But man, I got to where I could make it three lengths, you know? And this is a pretty good sized pool as well. Um, but what, what happens in your lungs when you can't breathe out? They start burning, don't they? I mean, your lungs burn because that oxygen is turning into carbon, what? Dioxide. And you, that, it'll kill you, right? That's why you breathe it out. Well, they couldn't breathe out until they lifted up on their crucified feet. Then they could breathe out. And then take another breath in, take another breath out. This is why every word that Jesus spoke, every phrase that Jesus spoke on the cross was so important. He considered every, there were seven last words, and we're not gonna cover that this morning, but he considered every one of them so important because he had to lift up on those crucified feet. Breathe out, breathe in, speak, and then drop back into that horrible uh, contorted position that someone would find on the cross. He took the elevator all the way down and died the worst form of death. And why did he die that, that death? He died that death for a number of different reasons, but I will just quickly highlight two. Number one, to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. Okay? The scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Does that include you? Yeah, you're an all. You're in every, we've all sinned. Now you may, today, people just poo-poo sin, right? Uh, we rename it, we, we reinvent it. And we say, oh, that, that's not really sin, okay? Because it's, it's what I feel like doing. I, I'm gonna decide my own morality. But see, God designed you and he designed the world and he decides and has decided what sin is. And sin is falling short of what God has designed you for, what he expects of you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. It's a very simple concept. It means, um, you, you ever been to uh, the range and, and gone shooting, right? With a rifle or a pistol or anything like that. Or maybe some of you have, have you know, uh, used a bow and arrow. Um, it's like you have that bowl or, or, or darts. Has anybody ever done darts? You know, right? Okay. I'm, I'm terrible at darts, actually. And it's like, let, let's just take darts as an example, okay? There's that bullseye right in front of you. You're aiming, right, for that center red dot and you throw the dart and you completely miss the target, that's what the scripture is saying about your life and my life when we live it outside of God. When we live our lives for ourselves, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus took all of our sin upon himself and died in our place. And then he overcame death. He conquered death by rising on the third day. He's the author of life, okay? 
In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. You can't put out the light. He really did die, but just as he pre-existed, he also continued to exist and continued to live on after death. And then he was resurrected physically, bodily, new body. And then on the, the 40th day or 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he sits and waits for all of his enemies to be made uh, a, a, uh, in subjection to him uh, at, a, at, the, at his feet, a footstool for him. Um, he went all the way down. Those who fail or refuse to accept and confess that Jesus was God come in the flesh do not really receive him because they don't believe the truth about him. In fact, they've chosen to believe false teaching from false prophets. In fact, John, our same author here, wrote a little letter at the back of our Bibles called 1 John, and he called these people who teach that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh or that Jesus wasn't really God, he said, for these people that said he didn't really come in the flesh, like the Docetics, he just seemed to be a a human being. He called them antichrists. Listen to what uh, John wrote in 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So I I agree with tolerance. We need to be tolerant people. We need to learn to live together. You know, the old bumper sticker, coexist. But that doesn't mean that everybody's idea, that everybody's religious affiliation or opinion is equally true, right? Right? The reason our church is called Life Will, I want us to shine the light for everyone. I don't want us to point fingers and condemn people. I want us to show the way. And if people want to follow the light, um, if they want to follow the way that is Jesus, then they will want to be a part of what we're teaching here. And if they don't, then they won't. Jesus was and is the God-man. To believe in him and receive him, you must accept both the divine and human natures of Jesus. Now, Jesus was his earthly name. This is the name that he was told, his parents were told to give him, okay? We've already seen other titles, and Craig addressed this this morning in his Bible study. Um, He's called the Word, right? He is the Son of God. That's what he is. But his name on earth was Yeshua, right? And as I indicated uh, in a previous message, uh, Wednesday, as a matter of fact, that name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, God's proper name, his formal name, saves, Yeshua. It's really the same as Joshua. Um, We separate Jesus um, because he's unique. He's the unique son of God, but it's the exact same name as Joshua. Uh, It's the same name as uh, Joshua in the book of Joshua who uh, came after Moses and so forth. Uh, there was a, uh, a Joshua who was a high priest when the Israelites came back from uh, slavery in, or, or subjection in uh, Babylon, but that was his name. We, back then, um, they had given names, but they didn't have surnames, right? I'm Daryl Hall. I come from this line of people, 
right? That apparently uh, were once servants in like a castle, right? And so they were called the halls because that's where, that's where they worked, in the hall of the castle, right? You have a surname as well. Uh, uh, let, let's take someone whose surname is Johnson, right? Okay, so that would mean that John, like this John here, had a son, and so he was called John's son. Simon, who Jesus renamed Peter, was Simon Bar-Jonah. That wasn't his last name. It was to identify which Simon he was. Bar means son. Simon Bar-Jonah means, oh, that's Simon, the son of Jonah. Follow me? Or let's take Judas Iscariot. Iscariot was not his last name. It is a, uh, a word that means a man from uh, a city called Kerioth, right? So it was Judas from Kerioth, Judas the man from Kerioth. So they had these names that they would add, but it wasn't a formal thing like that. So Jesus is called various things. Jesus of Nazareth, he's called Jesus Christ. Is Christ his last name? No, Christ is a title, right? It is, Christos is the Greek for Mashiach, Messiah. Means he's the chosen one. That's why this uh, television series that's out right now uh, that I can commend uh, to you. Uh, you kind of have to, it's funky to watch it. You've got to get their app, but you can get their app on all of these different streaming services, whether you've got uh, Apple or, you know, whatever you plug into your TV to stream. But you get the chosen app and you can watch all their episodes for free. But it's called The Chosen because it's a TV series that is about the life of Jesus, all right? So we've got to accept him as a human being and we've got to accept him uh, as the son of God. To receive Jesus, uh, well, first of all, I'm sorry, let me go in order. Jesus was and is the God man. To believe in him and receive him, you must accept the divine and human natures of the one and only son of God. Now, to receive Jesus and believe in his name, that's what it says in John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believed in his name, right? That means that we need to realize that he is the one and the only one who truly expresses and explains God. If you want to get to know God, you need to know Jesus, right? So that was the last verse uh, that we looked at in the prologue. No one has seen God at any time. How many people have seen God, the Father, face to face? Nobody. Moses wanted to see him, and God said, no man can see me and live. So, you know, he allowed Moses to see part of him, his back, so to speak, all right? He showed Moses a bit of, of his glory. But Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is God who became a man. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now, I I switched to the older New American Standard Bible. First of all, I memorized it in that. But I want you to understand how close John is saying Jesus is to the Father, right? He says, in the bosom of the Father. Well, you know, we take that word today and we just think of, you know, uh, the female, but it just means the, the chest. Literally, it means that Jesus is right here with God. It's the same word that is used by John when he's talking about himself and how he was 
right next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, and he, it says he leaned against his breast. He leaned against Jesus' chest. It's the same word here, right? He leaned in. He was so close. He was under his arm, right? That's why John never uses his own name in this gospel. He just calls himself the one who Jesus loved. What a gracious. I can't even imagine anything so good, right? You can call me whatever you want to call me. But if I'm the one who Jesus loved, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Um, it says that uh, the only begotten God, all right? The word there is monogenes, and it means the unique one, the only one. Is there anybody in this room that is an only child? An only child. You are a monogenes. You are the only child of your mother and father, Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that there will not be other children. There are because Jesus uh, rose from the dead, so he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, right? In fact, that's the promise uh, from John 1, 12, to as many as received him to them, he gave the right to be what? Children of God. So we can be adopted into his family. We can be regenerated and made like Jesus, but Jesus is the only Jesus. Jesus is the only word of God. Jesus is the only um, unique begotten son of God. That's what that means when it says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, the monogenes, the one and only son, he has explained him, right? Um, that word to explain is where we get our English word exegesis. Now, you may not have ever even heard that word, much less used it. Other than Pastor Craig, is there anybody else in the room here that has ever used the word exegesis before? You probably haven't. What, what it means, and I will give you the formal definition from my hermeneutics class, right? It is the... Uh, the um, art and science of biblical interpretation. You exegete a passage, right? In other words, this is what I'm trying desperately to do this morning. I'm trying to take the meaning from this passage and distill it and give it to you in a way that you understand. I'm trying to explain this. I've already told you I think I'm unworthy and I don't know if I'm doing it well enough, but I'm trying very hard to explain this. I'm exegeting the text. The opposite of exegesis is eisegesis. And it's what a lot of people do with the Bible today. And it's what a lot of people do who are trying to reinvent and reinterpret Jesus. They're reading their ideas into the text, right? That's, if you look at something in history and you interpret it from your time and your frame of mind, right? you do it incorrectly. It's called an anachronism, right? When you read back into history values and ideas from today, that's an anachronism. That's eisegesis. You're reading into it, right? Jesus didn't reinvent God or reinterpret God. Jesus explains God. If you want to know who God is, you got to meet Jesus. There's no other way. And there's no other way because there's no other way, not because we're trying to be narrow. So to receive and believe in Jesus is to receive God's overflowing grace. And when you receive Jesus, you have everything God offers and you'll be fulfilled. Both of those come from the, actually the two previous verses, verses 16 and 17, uh, prior to 18, which says, for of his fullness or from his fullness, we have all received 
and grace upon grace. That means unlimited grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized, and it's the same word that is used earlier when it says that nothing came into being without the Son of God. Grace and truth were realized and are realized through Jesus Christ. So friend, if you wanna be fulfilled, if you wanna be grace-filled, then you need to come to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. Will you bow your head for just a moment? If you would like to receive Jesus, if you believe what you just heard from the scripture, if you believe that Jesus is who he said and who he proved himself to be, then I implore you this morning to open your heart and receive him. See, we take that a step further. That means that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, actually comes into your innermost being and then changes you from the inside out. The scripture says that if anyone will call on the name of Jesus, they will be saved. What does it mean to call on somebody? You, you know, you call them, right? You know, for us, it's a, you know, a cell phone or something but you talk to them. So I'm gonna invite you to talk to the Lord Jesus today. I'm gonna invite you to open your heart and receive him as your savior and your Lord. Here's a prayer you can pray. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God who became a man. I believe you died on the cross for me. I confess I am a sinner and I need you to save me. I believe you rose from the dead and I invite you to come into my heart. Take control of me. I will follow you. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant it, I can assure you that the promise of John 1.12 is for you. He has already adopted you into his family. His spirit has entered you. His spirit will regenerate, give new birth to your spirit so that you can walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, so that you can live the rest of this life for him and not yourself, not for yourself or for some other foolish purpose or cause. Um, if you prayed that prayer, maybe it was the first time, maybe it was the first time you've prayed it in a long time. Maybe you've kind of stepped away from the Lord for a while and you know, you're deciding that you wanna come back. Why don't you just let me know that? I would like to know that. I'd like to know if I can pray with you. Pastor Craig and I will be down here. We'd love to pray with you. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, you can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically, all you need to do is text the word LIFEWELL, from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.